Hello, and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We are here today with another book review episode. This will be, Amanda, can I get a drum roll, please? Impromptu. That's pretty good. I will say, that does sound like you've been heavily influenced by cats, though. That's like a cat (laughs) per drum roll. (laughs) But I think own the inspiration, you know? If that's where your sound effects come from, if that's what gives you inspiration, I say own it. But we're yep, here. My, my cats inspire my life, so. I think so. Yeah, that's always been my understanding. Amanda is a cat lady. <laughs> Though not that's a true. cat, you're not a cat spinster, so that's important. Right, yeah. That's a very distinct difference, so. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> and and your number of cats has topped out at two, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And actually, one of my cats recently passed away. I did so know that. I just, that's why I tried to word it vaguely. Like that it was <laughs> at maximum you had had two cats. Sorry, I didn't want to bring up open uh, new wounds or whatever, fresh wounds. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no, yeah, the, I think stop. if you get to four plus, there's real concern that they're running right. your house. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's not divert or digress too much into <laughs> insulting probably our core demographic. We love you. <laughs> we don't we don't want to off-put anybody here. We appreciate all of your listenership. And we are here with an important task, and not to judge cat owners, it is to review a collection in the Little Black, pa- Little Black Classics collection. It's a tongue twister. This is a mm-hmm. set of world literature that Penguin has put out, and our aim has been to review all 80, that is eight zero pieces, we're here, and the reason for the cat drum roll was, this is episode 77. <laughs> there are only, including this one, four episodes of this 80-part run remaining, so we are truly at the finish line. This is the part of the track and field race metaphor where I start to trip over the hurdle, or I <laughs> slip on my own shoelace, or hit the pole. I don't know. I didn't do track for very long and found it yeah. quite loathsome, so let's switch gears and switch metaphors. We're here today to review a collection of short stories, two of them, by H.G. Wells. We will begin the review, as we've started to do in recent times, by answering some simple questions for you, the listener, about this person, who they were, what they wrote, and why it might matter. I'll start us off with the who this week, Amanda, because I think you did last week. Not sure. But yeah, I'll begin. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, who can who can remember two days ago? <laughs> it's, it's 2020, and that's how time works now. I don't. I remember January really well, but I don't remember two days ago at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we're here to review Herbert George Wells, who is super famous because he was a prolific writer, and that's basically his accomplishments. He also wrote a lot of social commentary. He was a British man, English, and wrote around World War I times, and I think he had some stuff published kind of near when World War II happened, but he also died during that war, I believe, so he didn't uh-huh. see the end of it. And so he was widely influential on just every famous British person in that time period. I know that Oh, who's the World War II leader guy? Churchill. He influenced him greatly. He was one of his favorite authors. And so Wells is just deeply influential culturally in that part of the world. He also, in terms of genre, is also very famous because he's considered one of the early science fiction writers called the father of science fiction, along with Jules Verne, who wrote um, Center to the... Center to the center of the earth. What time is it? (laughs) We have to stop recording these at night. (laughs) Uh, Journey... To the center of the earth, I believe. And yeah, I saw that in the, we'll get to the literary corner later. But yeah, so anyway, that's who he was. And uh, that is kind of why he was important to a degree. What are we going to talk about today, Amanda, and why did it matter? Uh, So we've got here actually two short stories from two very different collections. Um, The the first short story uh, being the, the door in the 
the door in the wall, which is yes. one of his like earliest works. Um, and these are actually less science fiction and they're more um, of his actual observations about humanity and culture. So um, if you're expecting sci-fi, this is not it. <laughs> I would say the first one is, but we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, and so he's really important because, as you mentioned, he influenced a lot of uh, writers, especially in science fiction. And um, but he also influenced the entire like an entire culture where you mentioned like Churchill actually used one of his phrases in in one of his most famous speeches. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was also nominated for the Nobel Prize in literature four different times. Yeah. He, which in itself is a huge accomplishment. That is one yeah. of the. And I think this is generally true, though it's become a cliche to say otherwise and joke otherwise. But I think that's a case where the nomination is the honor, so to speak. I mean, once you've hit that level of acknowledgement and success and acclaim and critical, I don't know, like you've reached a level of profundity in the culture that has been recognized that way. It it means something. And I think it matters probably more than winning it, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah, he he had a large impact. And his two biggest novels, The Time Machine and did he wait, did he write The Invisible Man? No, he he, did. Oh, and War of the Worlds. Actually, so his three biggest works then have been remade into movies and adaptations a billion times. I mean, those things have been revisited a ton. There was the Tom Cruise movie. And there was the kind of wasn't there kind of a blockbuster movie about the time machine? In yeah, uh, yeah. When I was it? Remember it not having really great reviews. It was though. not great, but they keep trying because <laughs> it's you know his influence is vast, and he wrote interesting sci-fi. So yeah, that's what we're reviewing yeah, and, today. Yeah, we'll yeah. Be- and in fact, like I was reading up on um, <laughs> one of the craters on Mars was named after him. Like that's how influential oh, he was. <laughs> that's fitting. I wonder if any of his stories took place there. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that's I did not know that. Well, see, you come you come to this pod for the factoids and the Wikipedia research department. So thanks as always to the research department. We appreciate it. <laughs> we'll begin our reviews proper with the normal one sentence simile review. Amanda, why don't you start us off this week? What was reading this H.G. Wells collection like? Uh, for me, I said reading this is like opening a present, expecting that you know what the present is going to be, and it's a gift that you really, really want. And then when you open it, it's not what you were expecting, mm-hmm. but it's still a really great present, and you really love the present. It's just not what you were expecting, so you're on the verge of feeling disappointment, but really you're not that disappointed. Does that make right. sense? Right, yeah, of course. Upon yeah. reflection, given given some cool down time that whenever that day is, you right. end up reflecting and loving it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I feel like I've been the recipient of some gifts like that. That's an extremely common feeling, I, I think. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> and is it really as thrilling to get something you asked for? I mean, it's nice, but I don't know if it comes right. with the thrill of surprise. That's right. a great and comparison. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, sometimes it's it's even better what you're you're not expecting, so... Yeah, especially, yeah, given some time and space and everything. Mm-hmm. I had a similar lightly positive one. I put that reading this was like having a gentle breeze kind of caress you when a hot, on a hot day. Maybe you're in a walk. Maybe you're working out. Maybe you're just trying to get somewhere. And it's a breeze that it brings you a little bit of comfort, a little reprieve to it. But I always find, I found that kind of cliche to mean, I know it's supposed to mean it's like comforting and relaxing. 
I always mm-hmm. think it's like, but that's not enough, you know? It's just like, yeah. I've never felt deeply comforted by a breeze like that. It's it's nice. It's like something you can appreciate in this very tangible way, but it yeah. feels very momentary and it's just kind of like, oh man, it's, you know, doesn't satisfy me in some deep way. And I think that's my takeaway from these. It was kind of just a really nice little reprieve, especially after the last episode. And I don't think it, it, I don't think it like shook my world though. And I don't think it deeply changed me or was in some way profoundly moving or something but it was very yeah. nice it was very nice yeah i think that that's a great um simile because it's it is very refreshing especially coming off of a few of those previous reads that were so dense and like yeah you had to really wade through it so yeah i think that's a great simile. it was a nice change of pace not to be constantly checking the page number i was on while reading <laughs> yeah exactly. what, a, what a change <laughs> what a change oh goodness Let's jump into our connections, too. We also like to begin the reviews by making some connections to current events or current day matters. And we are recording this in October of 2020, so I think this is going to be up in 2021 because we're pretty far ahead. But anyway, we'll make a connection to life in general. I'll go first. I just wrote down pride. We live in a strange time of people being maybe a little too prideful. There's a lot of talk about what freedom means or does not mean, at least in America, where Amanda and I record this show and where we live. And so seeing two main characters have pretty blatant moments of being too prideful, maybe, and then Mm -hmm. suffering consequences or not suffering them from that. I think that is a that's one of those base level human concerns that feels timeless that you can you can find people who are arrogant or prideful. And what's the Greek terminology for that, where they say you have too much hubris or something? And so, yeah, it's something that you can find that feels like a kind of timeless theme. So that's what I picked up on. Any connections for you? Um, Very similar. I just went a bit broader, actually. I just said internal struggles in general. Mm -hmm. Here, um, I I focused mostly on the internal struggle of what you think is right versus what you actually want and desire and how that plays out, um, especially with what you think is right for your society and what you're Uh, what's right for what you think the bigger picture is. Yeah. And what you think you deserve. At least that's Mm -hmm. kind of, I read that a lot more in the, in the first story, but in the second one, the college one, it explicitly comes up too. So quite relevant. Yeah. That's a good point. Sorry. I said to pause to burp. I'm going to wait like 10 seconds and start again. Sure. Doing the night ones makes me drink. So I got to (laughs) burp. Let's move then to the deep dive portion of the pod. Amanda, we'll get into the quotes for clarification. This is when we like to give a couple of quotes to show the author's style and how they wrote it and what we maybe liked or disliked about that. Do you want to begin this week with a quote, Amanda? Did you pull anything you enjoyed? Uh, Yes, actually, both of my quotes are positive quotes. Um, Mm. But I'll start with the the one that comes from The Door in the Wall. Okay. And... um, It says, afterwards, as I sat up in bed and sipped my morning tea, I found myself trying to account for the flavor of reality that perplexed me in his impossible reminiscence. So I chose this one because I thought it was a a very clever play on the word flavor, where he's sipping tea, but he's, and he's talking about not the flavor of the tea, but the flavor of reality. So that Mm -hmm. was something that I picked up on in his writing in general. Uh, This is the first time, by the way, I believe that I've read H.G. Wells. Oh, okay. Um, So I was not very familiar with his uh, writing style or anything like that. And I was very pleasantly surprised 
that he, this being, I was expecting science fiction, right? Because that's what he's known for. Yes. Um, but uh, because these were not necessarily his science fiction pieces, but more so his um, kind of reflections on humanity. I was surprised by how very like capital L literary his style is in a lot of ways where he is such a master of diction and kind of wordplay in a way that's clever like wild, but not clever like wild. And that wild is like very obviously trying to play up wordplay. It's not overbearing. Wild was like exhausting to read. If if you, the listener have listened to that episode we did about Oscar Wilde, so too too much to admire almost in it almost too busy yeah this one is a lot more subtle but just as well done i think yeah a lot of small moments of clever kind of playing characterization i pulled Mm -hmm. a quote that'll fit in with that perfectly it's when he kind of critiques and describes the english character uh, in the first story the one the door in the wall a character uh, is described as quote he paused checked by that English shyness that so often overcomes us when we would speak of moving or grave or beautiful things. And then the character goes on to speak. He has a lot of quick hitters in that vein, a lot of descriptions that are succinct but really effective. It's kind of, I mean, granted, it's just, I think, solid writing and it incorporates well into the broader works and what they're accomplishing but i think especially in regards to short stories it works really well it's kind of what you want in a short story you want something that is directly enough stated because it has to be because it's a short story and you don't get 50 pages to build someone up you get two and so Mm -hmm. you need it to be direct but there's also a little bit of it hints at underlying ideas about the character of someone and how their personality has affected their life. In that case, it's he, he basically spends the whole story questioning whether he should or should not have done something. And so right. it hints at perhaps underlying motives behind that, motivations behind it. And so it's also just a clever little joke about his own country and the people that he knows and the culture that he's grown up in. So it kind of works in a couple of, I think, clear ways. But clarity is not bad. It's coherent and pretty interesting and got a little chuckle out of me um, because the English are notoriously reserved. So <laughs> at least that's my understanding. I've never been there. Yeah. and uh, yeah. I, I've been there once, but I didn't really interact with too many people just because I'm super shy. But <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, they, and they, they wouldn't have it any other way, Amanda. They don't want you to <laughs> abrasively, you know, <laughs> be abrasive and American in their face, you know, yeah. <laughs> just try and hide. I like um, I like the quote that you chose too because it's um, we actually see a lot in this writing um, in both stories. There's a lot of like little quips and observations about the culture and about humanity in general that are just like quick one sentence like one liners that he moves on from, but that are not like just kind of dropped in out of nowhere. It's related to the story in some way, and I think that he does a really good job with putting that in there without it being overbearing. Yeah, and I think... I'm actually just going to throw my other quote out there then because that builds on it perfectly. I think when he needs to be direct, he does it well. And to me, Mm -hmm. again, it's what a short story demands. But it's also the thing that there's a thin line because as soon as you become too assertive about being direct and too aggressive about getting the the characterization out there it can be just overwhelming and then also boring because you've just been told we've gone over this on this podcast series a ton being told what you should have just read and understood is extremely boring and leaves it very flat Mm -hmm. 
So character work like this, this is from the other story, uh, Slip Under the Microscope, I thought was pretty well done. This is the main character described, uh, quote, Hill was a vigorous youngster with a serene contempt for the clergy of all denominations and a fine ambition to reconstruct the world. He regarded his scholarship as a brilliant opportunity. He had begun to read at seven and had steadily whatever came his way, good or bad, since then. His worldly experience had been limited to the island of Portsea and had acquired chiefly in the wholesale boot factory in which he had worked by day after passing the seventh standard of board school. And then this is just a little later. He was just at that emotional fine age when life opens up at the end of a narrow pass like a broad valley at one's feet, full of the promise of wonderful discoveries and tremendous achievements, and his own limitations, save that he knew that he, uh, that he knew he knew neither French nor Latin, were all unknown to him. And that's, end quote. It, it accomplishes a lot in a little space. It gives mm-hmm. his class background, which ends up being a massive element in the story and plays into kind of all of the major happenings in it. It, it builds up his own personality and his personal character, his arrogance even, or his, you know, maybe overconfidence and how that kind of, I don't know, corrupts him or doesn't corrupt him. I, we're not here to spoil any of these stories for you. And I think, you know, mentioning little things like academically mentioning Latin or French, which are some of the more high-minded academic type of languages to know, um, maybe Greek too would sneak its way in there or something. And so it, it does all sorts of things. It gives you a sense of the world he has to inhabit, the conflict with him and between him and the college and him maybe not supposing to be there. It says that he got his education wholesale at a boot factory, uh, which mm-hmm. I actually misread that the first time. I thought it said his whole education was wholesale, not that the boots were wholesale. So I actually gave him more credit because I thought that was a funny like double play on like probably the boots were cheap, but also his entire world was just this shitty factory he was forced to work <laughs> at. <laughs> yeah, um, and it was also probably it's like pretty like a wholesale realization at a place like that is like going to be pretty in your face. It's pretty that's a pretty blunt force way to get exposed to the world is I'm working in this crappy factory probably too much. So right. I actually overread that maybe, give it too much credit. But still, a fine description, succinct, accomplishes a couple of things. I, I don't think it's, again, is it like staggering in sort of invention or twist or verve? Is it Oscar Wilde? I guess not, no. But it was quite enjoyable to read and I thought pretty clear. And then when you get to the end of the story... It's the type of writing where you can think back on moments like that and think, oh, yes, he had built to something here. Here are the moments that I can go back, reflect upon, and sort of piece things together. So I'm yeah. not sure if you enjoy I enjoyed the character work like that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that character in particular. And uh, I thought he did mm-hmm. a great job, too, Like as far as like the subtlety of his development. Um, when you go back to the beginning and you're first reading that the like the first paragraph where he's describing the classroom you're like why is he giving me so much detail about this classroom it's like meant to be stuffy right it's meant to be yeah um just purely academia and the carelessness almost of the the students like just throwing their backpacks down so it shows that the the students the other students are actually probably more well off they don't care as much about their possessions because they can just easily replace it but it's the those subtleties that are really great in developing your understanding of the world that he's in in contrast to the character without him having to actually state like everybody around him is rich and he's super poor yeah, and, and it's, you, you don't even realize you're getting that contrast until like, oh, 
yeah, that dude does seem like a total douchebag because he's, you know, rubbing his... His rival, you rubbing, mean, I assume? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wendenburn or whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, the wealthy guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and he states when he needs to, for example, in that one, it describes his emotional state or his b- point of view of the world as a opening to a vast valley. But at least with that, again, it's direct, but it has some imagery there to kind of tickle your brain and just kind of, you know, it's just, a, it's a little something, a little bit creative, but it's not, again, it's not mind blowing in its subtlety. You know, it's a, that as a metaphor, I, I don't know, I, unless I'm under reading, there's nothing like staggering about that, but it's effective and combined with the rest of the writing, it just has such an elegant presentation of mm-hmm. a very clear character. And they like, yep. yeah, like you said, there's subtlety if you want it. What, uh, what other quote did you pull for today? Um, so... Uh, another thing that um, my other quote also dealt with the subtlety of um, Wells's writing. So it's from uh, the second story, the a slip under the microscope, which also, hey, I want to say slip under the microscope. It's a kind of a, a pun there too, right? Slip. Anyway, um, I could see that. I didn't read it that way, but it makes tons of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this is when he is meeting with the um, in the in towards the last scene when he's meeting with the his professor there. Good God, what a fool I have been! He said hotly and abruptly. I hope, said Bindon, that it will be a lesson to you. But curiously enough, they were not thinking of quite the same indiscretion. So if you're not paying attention to the character development and the gulf between those who are privileged and the main character hill yeah. you're not going to really pick up on like that one little statement where it's like they're not thinking of the same indiscretion but if you actually like think about it it's really great and 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 obviously subtle in that he is again pointing out like almost the the moral superiority of hill right in a lot of ways which hill would kind of uh, represent the because he was uh, Wells was um, very much like uh, an egalitarian. He he did not like that there was so much of a, a emphasis on class distinction. Yeah, right. Um, so where the moral uprightness actually is related to Hill. Um, anyway, so it's like he's he's moralizing here without being preachy, which is something that we rail against in this pod against, you know, Oh, certainly a lot of the, the Greek and Roman writers that we've encountered yeah, yeah. where they've been uh, very much preachy. Um, but he is moralizing. It's just that the way that he's doing it is like, it, you have to really pick up on it by really paying attention to the story in order to really get what the, what the essence of the story is here. Both of them had, now, the first one, I will say, had an ambiguous ending that the author explained in a very awkward way, or the, yeah. the, sorry, the narrator, literally evoking the second person to question you and say, like, well, what do you think? Or what? So that one felt a little bit a, a little bit too aggressive about it, but they both have clearly ambiguous endings that right. leave lots of room for you to read into them. That quote you read is a perfect summary of it because it quite literally... The, the narration just tells you there's something that you don't expect and then it doesn't and then it, the story basically ends <laughs> with right. with some other happenings but yeah it's yeah. it's a great description or a great quote to pull to show that i i admired it we have both i think complimented generally leaving more to the reader than not in the past mm-hmm. i don't know if we want to phrase it that way but yeah i think we after this collection is all said and done the one takeaway above all others is never tell me 
in the writing what I should be thinking in the writing. <laughs> right. Just yes. never never do that, ever. <laughs> and so, yeah. Any final thoughts on the style before we move into the literary corner, Amanda? No, I think I'm good. Well, let's educate these listeners on some literary element. Every episode of the review, we like to give some kind of literary compliment. We want to analyze the rhetoric, the style, something in the story. I think we'll start with yours. Yours appeared in neither of my literary dictionaries, so I could Mm -hmm. not confirm it. And in fact, I science fiction isn't even in the Penguin one, which I get now to be more ostentatious and pretentious. <laughs> like the Penguin one is is more high minded uh, in the classic way of saying that, in the lit in the uh, academic way. So mm-hmm. I had to go to the Oxford one to find science an entry on science fiction. But do you want to yeah. start with Wells' Law? Sure. Um, so Wells' Law is in particular related to science fiction. So it's I'm not surprised that you didn't find uh, like Wells law in any kind of uh, big L literature um, uh, dictionaries or anything like that, just because it is particular to science fiction and science fiction is often not included in, in that kind of literature. Um, Anyway, so it is, so Wells law is named after HG Wells because he's the guy who came up with this idea and his idea is pretty simple. He was like, Hmm, Instead of sci-fi just being um, off the wall, all kinds of stuff that doesn't seem realistic, instead keep the story realistic and only introduce one concept that would be new or unfamiliar to the reader, right? So he believed that to make science fiction more um, acceptable by the masses was to make it more realistic in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it's an admirable sort of prescription. It's something that I think I align with a fair amount, though I'm also on board. I think he would find then a lot of modern sci-fi abhorrent. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I, a lot of sci-fi has gone way off the rails in terms of what they expect the reader or watcher. I guess a lot of it's TV and movies too now, but what they expect you to sort of keep up with and understand. It's a lot of world building, and I love complex world building. So, but I get his basic premise, and I really like it. I think that some of the best sci-fi does not overdo it. It was a criticism we had in a recent book club, I think. A lot of those Octavius Brood short stories suffered for this very reason, especially Mm -hmm. the Bumblebee time travel dragons one. (laughs) I mean, let's not not regurgitate (laughs) that, listeners. I'm assuming you have not encountered that episode, but we did a deep dive on a short story collection of sci-fi and fantasy, and my goodness, there were some duds in there from my perspective. And they failed this law horribly then. Yeah. I think it's a good general law. (laughs) I'm going to give a quick rundown. I did want to pull the Oxford definition of science fiction just for listeners who maybe don't dabble in the genre. I'll at least run Mm -hmm. down quickly because Wells is super famous for popularizing it. Um, Science fiction is a popular modern branch of prose fiction that explores the probable consequences of some improbable or impossible transformation of the basic conditions of human or intelligent non-human existence. The transformation need not be brought about by a technological innovation, but may evolve from some mutation of known biological or physical reality, e.g. time travel, extraterrestrial invasion, ecological catastrophe, etc. And it's a genre that has not found a lot of respect. They mention that until kind of the postmodern times. Um, and there are also postmodern fiction authors that have delved in, like Thomas Pynchon and Vonnegut and stuff. And mm-hmm. so... 
Yeah, and they, they do mention Wells by name and um, Jules Verne and uh, Mary Shelley. Though apparently Mar- Mary Shelley gets her own category for being kind of like romantic, uh, capital R sci-fi. That they, they don't really consider that to be our modern understanding because of its it's so genre trapped by romanticism. I guess I don't. Mm. It's inter- It's an interesting distinction. I'm not sure where I would because I mean. I think I draw the line between science fiction and fantasy. I have a clean, I feel like in my brain there's a clean break between those, but yeah. it's that in my mind, fantasy is the above, the broader genre above under which sci-fi slots, I guess. That's kind of, so it's like anything fantastical I would call fantasy. If it includes elements of not, like mythology I would call fantasy. I would like, I just think it, for me, fantasy is the blanket term. I feel like we need a better... I feel like what we need is a better term for sword and sorcery, basically fantasy. Like, that's yeah. what generally people call fantasy. Like, Lord of the Rings is considered fantasy. I guess I mm-hmm. just view the fantastical as, like, a much broader thing. And, like, we can call, yeah. you know, Harry Potter and your Lord of the Rings magic and spells. Like, I feel like it should get its own term. We don't really have one. It's fantasy. So. Yeah, right. But yeah, that's that's what science fiction is. I So, we'll bring this up briefly then. I thought The Door in the Wall was fantasy, though. Or it is it is fantastical. Now, it could also be, without spoiling the plot, it could also be hallucinatory, maybe. Maybe it's... Right. And, and I think the commentary on his life and the way it the way that moment plays in to the development of his character it's not a, it, it has clear messages about his real lived life that was not fantastical but i don't know the way it appears his description when he goes through the door which again we, i'm not here to spoil i felt like that was fantastical to me i felt like that was a fantasy story to me yeah i agree i think that the of the two the door and the wall is definitely the the more uh, likely to be considered, I think, sci-fi, but uh, or fantasy rather, because it's definitely. I don't think that it, it would qualify as science fiction just because there are no sciencey well, there, aspects. And to there's it. no invention to it. There's no. Right. I think with, I don't know. Let's not go down this rabbit hole too deeply. But I will say yeah. we can get into it a little bit more. I would say for me, the science part of science fiction doesn't have to mean future-facing tech. That's kind of what steampunk right. is. It's kind of like backwards tech that we just talk about anyway. So it's Mm -hmm. any innovation that like makes society different in a way, but you're right to me because that element appears with no, it appears to have no connection to humanity. It appears to be a totally perhaps religious or fantastical. It's controlled by elements beyond humanity, basically um, Mm -hmm. that are not extraterrestrial aliens whose technology we then analyze, which like to me, there could be a fantasy story about aliens that isn't really sci-fi, but it turns out most of them end up being that because we interact with their tech and it influences right. us. But I can imagine almost like his War of the Worlds in a way. That's like mm-hmm. almost not even sci-fi in my my narrow definition because, to my recollection, they don't really the diseases of humanity kill the, those aliens. That's how it ends. But I don't think we really interact with their tech or anything. You know, it's not like we're like making jetpacks based off their laser guns or whatever. It's just kind of, they show up and become eradicated. And so hmm. anyway, but those are interesting distinctions. I think, I don't know. I like that kind of genre categorization debate type thinking. I'm not sure if you find that enjoyable or fruitful or anything, but I always enjoy that kind of chatter. I don't, does that fit your definition of sci-fi? Yeah, I think I think well that this story does not fit my definition of sci-fi, but yeah, the your explanation of 
the interaction with any kind of technology, whether it's backward facing, forward facing, or space facing. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, yeah. That's pretty apt to make it science fiction. Even some of the, I encountered some sci-fi where it's like a lot of world building, but yeah, when it doesn't actually incorporate any of the technology, but is more about like maybe the culture of an alien race, I do consider that more fantasy now that I think about it versus sci-fi. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, I just think, I think fantasy, to me, I've always been very, like a bookstore would not do this, by the way, a a bookstore puts fantasy, it means there will be swords, magic, dragons, maybe all, maybe one of those, like, that's kind of the vibe, but I have always just thought, I don't know, like, again, to me, mythology is fantasy, because it is unreal, and includes elements of the fantastical, like, Mm -hmm. magical realism, to me, is also fantasy, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, what's not fantasy like night, you know, we can put that in a Like that is realistic or nonfiction combo. Like we can there, you know, the Greg Gatsby is just not fa- you know, like, I feel like there's a pretty right. clear split there and there's a, I mean, all fiction is imaginative, but there's a level of non real non reality that I think to me means fantasy, but I get mm-hmm. that it kind of, it, it has certain connotations now. Maybe it's too late to like make up a new definition. You know, it's almost like I want to call it like sword and shield fantasy or like magic fantasy or so, you know, it's like, I just wish we had a different term, but that's okay. It's just me being annoying. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that makes sense. And, and yeah. With Wells' law, the the one of the other reasons that he wanted to that he focused mostly on um, realism and just incorporating one fantastical element is because he specifically wanted to stay out of the fantasy genre. Right. He right. wanted to create science fiction as its own genre. Yeah, and involve more his his societies feel quite contemporary i think even in right. all of his major works including invisible man which i think actually in relation to his when he lived is actually in the past it's back sure. when there were like wasn't electricity i think for my i remember reading that story in the beginning is the guy shows up in an inn and i think it's all like candles and stuff you know it's just, it's like i think older than when he wrote it Oh, but I have not read his stuff since college i have not re- like i read his major works in college out of my own like Back when I was really into the academic part of sci-fi and stuff, I was like, ah, I got to read the, you know, got to read everything, got to read all the origins and whatever. And so mm-hmm. I did read those three books, but I, my memories are getting hazy on them. And the Tom Cruise movie, you know, that's what matters. Anyway, <laughs> let's jump to, uh, for the listeners that have survived that digression, I hope that's why you're here, you know, if, if you're like-minded, <laughs> as we hope. Um, but let's move to the final part of the review. Let's actually review this collection. We will begin with the Russell French In Memoriam, So What's Good About It segment. This is when we give a genuine compliment or praise to the work. I'll start. I thought the ambiguous endings here were pretty fun, but the... The first one, because it was so directed, I didn't love it as much. The second one, I think, maybe it was even too abrupt for me. Like, I didn't mind it because it, you know, what I like about the ambiguous ending is that it makes you reconsider parts, and I like that part of the building Mm up. But, yeah, I think maybe it was too much. So what I'm going to compliment is that I just thought the English-related humor was good. I thought he had a lot of slight jokes about the way the social classes kind of break down there there were some political jokes there with references that yep some people just might not get you know if you don't know the history of socialism in england you just might not get it and that's fine but i thought there was enough wit in there to kind of make it fun and there's some good criticisms of that social standing so how about for you uh for me i also enjoyed his wit but for me specifically i enjoyed his wordplay his use of particular words um 
in conjunction with certain images and and ideas that he was trying to put forth, I thought that he was very clever in his word choices a lot of the time. Very clever indeed. Let's rate this thing then, Amanda. We like to rate on a simple three-tiered system. It is a yes, no, maybe system, where maybe in the middle is a qualified recommendation to read it. Yes and no speak for themselves. Amanda, what are you going to rate this collection by H.G. Wells? I'm going to say yes. Um I was expecting to read the science fiction, like I said, but um, I was very pleasantly surprised with with these stories, and I thought that they were very insightful, and I thought that they were well-written, and I thought that the story um, had great pacing. It definitely uh, pulls you along. It's not slow, despite it being so insightful sometimes with really insightful uh, stories about humanity and, and kind of analysis of a particular character's um, internal struggle, it can seem like it just drags, but these stories do not drag. Um, no. So that was really nice. What a great turn from last week's Virgil. This was such a joy. <laughs> yes. I, again, it was nice to remember what reading something without checking page numbers was like. Yes. Uh, and they, really, they really are propulsive and uh, quite descriptive, though, but it's, it's the right balance. It's a yes for me also. I would say definitely read H.G. Wells. I don't know if you want to pick up a short story collection. I think these were really good short stories. They were they moved in the way you want. They have the level of insight without being overbearing that you kind of need in a short story. So mm-hmm. I loved them. I thought they were really, really good. I think maybe just move to his novels, though. That would be the wreck. Like, yes, read him. But, you know, he wrote three incredibly famous works in The Time Machine, War of the Worlds, and The Invisible Man. So if this sounded interesting in any way, one of those is probably your best bet to to start. I think the only slight reservation I'd give about this collection is I just think some of the English humor, I, you have to have at least a passing interest in English society, especially around turn of the century. Even a little helps. Even a little goes a long way there. So I think that's the only slight caveat, but it's very accessible even with that. So it's just, I, I would say yeah, yes for me as well. Strong yes. We are ending this collection with a couple of yeses, I hope, Amanda. Me too. <laughs> I know. We've got a few left, so maybe there will be more yeses in there. Next week we have coming up a bit of history with Herodotus, though I, my understanding, I don't remember if I encountered him in my Western Civ like college classes, but he's like the fu- considered quote the father of, of modern of history of like keeping histories, and so I think he kind of blended historical fact with myth, so it could be an odd one to read. But yeah, we've got Herodotus coming up. After that, some religious texts to round out the rest of the collection should make for a fascinating ending. And until next week, we will see you between the classics. <laughs>